Well, you know, we glorify God by dwelling in places that need the light, and that's what Jesus did. And you know what? That is what we need to do too. In 1998, I had the privilege of leading a team of four people to visit the country of Ghana in West Africa. And our host, Jim Haney, who is with the International Mission Board, gave us a tour of the country. And when we returned to the States, we asked Jim a simple question. What unreached people group would you recommend that we help reach? Now, missionaries often talk about unreached people groups. These are people who are similar to one another uh, racially, culturally, linguistically. And the reason this is important is because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, this gospel, this good news shall be preached to all the nations, all the ethnies or all the people groups, and then the end will come. So he's saying that he's not returning until people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue have been gathered into his flock and who will one day worship him in heaven. Now, currently there are over 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. These are groups of people where less than 2% of the population are uh, real, genuine Christ followers. They don't have a relationship with Christ. So these people don't have the critical mass to evangelize themselves without outside help. Now, we always wanted to be a church that would be engaged in helping to reach unreached people groups and the kind of church that would make some long-term investments to help reach them. So when we asked our missionary friend, Jim, about the unreached people groups in Ghana, he mentioned a group named the Enzema, N-Z-E-M-A, the Enzema. And this is a group of about 300,000 people who live on the southwest coast of Ghana. So in 2006, of us went on a trip to share uh, the Jesus film in open-air settings and to explore the possibility of adopting the Enzyme of people. Now, the darkness was great. There's poverty. There's poor health. There's a weak economy. The people generally practiced empty ritualistic religion mixed with traditional African religion, which would be superstitious paganism led by local witch doctors. And only three churches existed in our association of churches in the area in the year 2000. Less than 6,000 people knew Christ in a personal way. So you could say that the people were living in personal, in physical, in economic, and spiritual darkness. So we made as a church the decision to adopt this people group, to help bring the light of Christ into that darkness. And since then, we've sent teams almost every year to do evangelism and church planting and health clinics and more. And we helped to identify a Ghanaian. His name is Frank Acha. That's the way he says it, Frank Acha, who moved to the area to become a church-starting strategist for the Enzyme of People. And through your generosity, our generosity as a church, we are able to pay his salary, pay his housing, and all of his benefits, including transportation, for less than $10,000 a year. Thanks for that. We've helped to establish a microfinance bank which makes small business loans to start businesses in the area. We've trained pastors in the area. We've been hands-on helping to plant churches in the area. We've paid for the drilling of eight water wells in communities that desperately needed clean drinking water, and even sent a young man, Josh Cleveland, to live there for several months to oversee the completion of the project. And then more recently, we've been sending medical teams to Ghana to provide much needed care for hundreds and hundreds of Ghanaians every year. Let me, let me just share one quick story. On one of our visits, a chief, a local chief, came to profess Christ as Savior and Lord. And that's a big deal. 
Because a chief in Ghana is kind of like the mayor, the judge, and a land baron all rolled into one. So this chief donated the land for building a much-needed hospital there in Ghana. And we are partnering with several organizations to construct the hospital and send doctors and nurses to live in the area. It's greatly needed. One of our elders, Ron Cleveland, is overseeing this project. And I'm happy to let you know that in the last several months, ground was broken on that project. And in fact, you can go to our Advent tree and you can get ornaments off the tree today to help build that hospital. One of of the couples in our church, the Wolfenbargers, had a leading from God to grow their family through adoption. And so when they heard us talking so much about Ghana, their hearts were drawn to adopt some children from there. So now little Eve and Kofi from Ghana go to CVC. They're part of our church family. The children that were living in the darkness without parents have parents at our church. So for the last 15 years, CVC has sought to glorify God by going to dwell in a place that needs the light of Christ. And to me, it is extremely satisfying to know that the Enzima people are no longer classified as an unreached people group. Instead of less than 2% evangelicals in the area, the statistics I saw just yesterday are that there are now 24% evangelicals from less than 6,000 believers to tens of thousands of believers. Yes, that deserves some praise to God. And over the last 14 years, the number of churches in that area has grown from three to over 50 in our association. Now, we didn't do this, of course. Others have been reaching out there, too. We've partnered with other churches and other organizations, but those other churches and organizations, they didn't do this either because it's Christ who is the light. He has been shining his light in that darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And we have received his light, and we are reflecting his light in that darkness. See, when it comes to missions, you're going to either be a goer, a sender, or disobedient. So I just want to say thank you, CVC, for glorifying God by going and by sending. Because the Enzima people in West Africa needed the light And they are getting him. They're getting Christ, the light of the world. So we glorify God by dwelling in the places that need the light. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we should do too. Sola Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of what you're doing around the world, and especially in the last 15 years or so in West Africa and Ghana. Lord, Help those churches that are there, those 50 churches that are shining the light, help them to shine it brighter. Thank you, Father, for Frank Acha. Lord, keep your hand on his life and his family, Joyce, and bless them. And then, God, I pray that you would bless also the light that is shining now in South Sudan through the Tuckermans and their ministry. God, use us to be people that bring glory to you by going to places where the light is so desperately needed. Help us now as we listen carefully to your word being taught. In Jesus' name, amen. Josh Stone is going to speak to us today. Would you welcome him here? Thanks. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. And Merry Christmas. It's been an exciting Christmas for my wife and I. We uh, had the opportunity to celebrate the uh, birth of our uh, first child, a little boy named Judah, on December 4th. 
So it's an exciting time. So if, uh, if I start to, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> so if I start to nod off, um, just clap or something and wake me up. If you see my wife nodding off, just let her sleep. <laughs> she definitely needs it. Um, so today is uh, the third week where we of our series, Light of the World, where we're looking at John chapter 1 about how Christ is the light. We are not the light, but Christ is the light, and his light is being shown throughout the whole world to the point where Christmas is a global celebration. The coming of the light into the world is a global celebration. And, um, you know, we have a... a we're, we're focusing on Ghana and South Sudan uh, today, and uh, some of you may know the Tuckerman family. The Tuckerman family is part of CVC for quite a long time, and are currently living in South Sudan. They're actually back here for uh, you know Christmas time with family, but uh, they're here for. Um, just a brief time to go back to South Sudan. And they've been involved with the Lost Boys of Sudan. So maybe you've heard about that. It's a group of these orphan boys that literally walked across the country of Sudan to be part of a refugee camp. And eventually, some of those refugees came here to the United States. The Tuckermans, knowing that Christ is the light of the world, wanted to reflect some of that light and started getting involved with these refugees. And through time, they got involved with a, a boy who's now a man named David, and he graduated from University of Akron with an accounting degree. Like, so he went from an orphan lost boy to a graduate um, University of Akron. And he is uh, here, and we have the opportunity to have him come up and read our scripture in his native language of Dinka. So if David, you want to come on up, um, he's going to be in the foyer along with the Tuckermans to, uh, if you want to talk a little bit, here's a story. It's amazing story. And there's actually a documentary I recommend called God Grew Tired of Us about this story. So here's David. He's going to read uh, for us uh, John 1, uh, John 1, 14 through 18. Okay. It's John 1, 14 to 18. And I will read it in my dialect, and you guys should follow me in English. Go at yarding, could change the way. What you know, I'm the name. No, I'm the one talking about it. No wood. It's young, not the egg with all. You get John Lewick, Lurikin, and Gaita Lewigan. Qua Bobby, could eat none of them to him. Quajit young, not the edder, a chugger long. Long, a gian mosses. What's the egg with all? I bend ye to curso. A chiran. Thanks. Thank you, David. All right, so we're looking at John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18 to this series. Let's do a quick review of verses 1 through 13. We see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. And John 1 purposefully reminds us of Genesis chapter 1, where God spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be mountains and rivers and lakes and animals. And he spoke all things into existence. That's the word of God. And we see that uh, in, uh, in the scripture that, that 
John the Baptist came to bear witness about the light. And in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And through the word was life. Everything that lives, everything that moves, everything that breathes was made through Christ. And it says, in him is the light of men. Humans have a unique capacity to reflect life and to reflect the presence and glory of God. And that's what we looked at in verses 1 through 13. And, you know, if you're a first century reader, up until this point, you kind of, I think, get it. Yeah, like if you're a Roman, you think, okay, the word of God. It's this uh, spirit, this force that orders all things and that keeps everything in line. Or if you were a Jewish person, you'd say, oh, sure, the word. This is Yahweh God, God Almighty. And it's not until verse 14 that we see the twist in the story. That verse 14, when we really get it, blows the mind of any first century or 21st century reader. So look with me, John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this word, this creating God, this agent of creation took on flesh. How does that work? Was it like, He's God, then he kind of like became not God and like walked around, and then he became God again. No, Scripture tells us that Jesus took on flesh, uh, much like I, on December 4th, took on fatherhood. In no way was I diminished in being a man or being a husband or being a pastor or a citizen Rather, me being a father and taking on fatherhood, I think it's actually made me a better husband and a better person and a, you know, a better citizen and pastor. That's what happened with Jesus. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And he took on flesh and added to himself flesh to the point where if you were there Christmas morning, you could have literally changed the diaper of God. It's insane, right? If you were a 10-year-old on the playgrounds of Galilee, you could have literally fouled God in a game of soccer, right? You could shake God's hand. You could hug God and touch his face. Jesus Christ, the word became flesh. We see he dwelt among us. And this word dwelt, it's a very specific word. It doesn't happen very often in the New Testament. And it is the Greek translation of the Hebrew tabernacle. If you remember from your Sunday school class or from your Old Testament, uh, the nation of Israel was flee freed from slavery from the nation of Egypt. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And God told them that every time they stopped to erect this called a tabernacle. It's like a, it's like a big tent. And it's there where the presence of God was specially and uniquely revealed. 
Scripture here tells us that that's Jesus Christ. Not only he became flesh, but he dwelt among us. He was in the presence of us and lived among us as just a regular guy. Let's keep reading. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I think for us in 21st century America, this is the most startling part of verse 14. It says that we have seen his glory. And what he's talking about is not the word who created all things into existence. That's not the glory that we've seen. It's not the parting of the Red Sea or the plagues on Egypt. See, Scripture here is telling us that the glory of God is most clearly seen, not in his creative power, but in his indwelling presence. The glory that we see is the glory of God who was willing to send his son into the world and be born into flesh, to be born as one of us. Now, you know, two weeks ago, I I was in the room when our little son was born, you know, and that's that's quite the experience. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's kind of... You know, we, we drive by like nativity scenes and, you know, you look at like, there's like Mary, she like, looks like she just had her hair done, you know, and everyone's kind of like hanging out. Like, I don't know, that's, that's how it was. But the, the fleshliness of it, the commonness of it, the vulnerability of God the Son being born in human flesh. That's where we see the glory of God. And that's good news for us. Because that means when we are looking for God, when we're at a place where there's difficulty in our life, our marriage, our work situation, and we call out to God, his glory is seen not in like, parting Lake Erie or like someone coming in a white robe to tell you what job to take. Rather, his glory is seen in the natural. You see, God works in supernatural ways and in natural ways. He's worked in supernatural ways of miraculous healing and, and miracles, but he also created the natural. See, God created supernatural and natural So he works in both supernatural and natural ways. The natural ways that he works in our lives is often in the reading of the scripture and in prayer, in the hearing of the word preached, in wise counsel, right? So when we are in a place where we need to make a decision or have some difficulty, we shouldn't wait for like the ghost of real estate to come and like tell us what house to buy, right? We should... Look in how God's glory is clearly seen in the natural. So we go to the word, we go to prayer, we go to godly counsel. See, Christ came in the, took on flesh, dwelt among us in the humility and the love of being willing to be born in a manger. That's the glory of God. 
And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Wherever Christ dwells, so does grace and truth. Christ's presence always produces grace and truth. It's kind of like this. Um, like Deborah and I are actually in the process of looking at homes and kind of that whole, that whole thing. And there's um, some houses we look at have wet basements. Uh, didn't you have wet basement, right, when it rains? And so all it, you know, if, if you have a wet basement, you know you're in this eternal struggle against mold, right? There, all it takes for mold to grow is a little bit of moisture and a little bit of warmth, and mold will grow no matter how many dehumidifiers you have in your basement. Okay. Scripture is telling us that when Christ is present, don't ma- no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how difficult things may seem, if Christ is present, grace and truth grows. That should be an encouragement to you. No matter how difficult things may seem, if Christ is present in your life and you reflect that light of Christ, grace and truth happens, no matter what. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you've believed and received Christ, then your job now is to glorify God. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So you're called, if you're a follower of Jesus, to glorify God. Okay, well, how do I glorify God? We do that just like Jesus does. We go in the, with the light of Christ and dwell in dark places. Jesus, the light of the world, came through normal, natural means so that he can dwell with us. So that in his perfect life, in his three years of ministry, in his, his death on the cross, he reflected his light. He gave his light to others. So our job, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to dwell in places that are dark. Dwell in places that need grace and need truth. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, I, I hear you. I know that my family my job, my hobbies, they need more grace and truth. But Josh, you understand, I have blown it in my life. I have done things that have caused me to be estranged from my family. It's caused me to lose respect at my work. Like, I just can't, I just can't be a good reflector of the light of Christ because I'm a hypocrite. I think we have to like remember and kind of get this straight. We are all hypocrites. Every one of us are hypocrites. For example, right? Like no one takes a picture and posts on social media, you know, that microwave burrito they had on Friday night, right? But everyone's very quick and easy when you make this beautiful meal or like you go out to, you know, go out to eat and you take a picture. Right? No mother takes a picture of her children at three in the afternoon with like their dirty pajamas on. <laughs> right? No, it's like, here's our kids ready for church for the 815. You know, everyone's like dressed, looks good. Right? No one takes a picture of their workout clothes folded in their drawer. Right? It's always the annual 
trek to the gym, you know, we take a picture. Like, we all live in that world. We are all hypocrites. The question is not, are you a hypocrite? The question is, are you willing to be a conduit of grace and truth? Because verse 16 says this, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. And we've all messed up and we are all hypocrite. But Christ has given us grace on top of grace so that no matter what, we can still be conduits of grace and truth. So that's what we do. We were dark. We are sinners in need of the light of Christ. And we need grace. And some of us have received that grace through Jesus Christ. We've beheld the glory of God through the, the face of Christ. And the light of Christ has shined in our hearts. And now grace and truth can just flow from us if we dwell in the presence of Christ. Now, we said before, uh, the Tuckermen, some of you may know them. They are an excellent example of this principle of being, not being the light, but being recipients of the light, going and dwelling in a place that needs the light. They are currently, they've been involved with ministry in South Sudan for many years. They're actually, they're living in South Sudan. They're back for Christmas break. And I want to invite uh, Abby and Noah, two of their children up, and they're going to share with us a little bit where they've seen darkness in South Sudan, but also where they've seen the light of Christ be reflected. So Noah, tell me, what's been hard to see during your time in South Sudan? Maybe what's, what's been dark? A lot of the darkness comes from um, a couple of, a lot of the every kids in the orphanage's stories. I've heard multiple of their stories, and one that stands out to me is um, my friend Thomas is crippled from the leg down because of something that happened in his village. Some people were, like, raiding it or something, and he had to climb a tree to get away from it, and the limb broke, and he broke his hip down, so he's crippled. But not only that, the witch doctor drums that play at night that are really start to, like, spook on you. And yeah, there were multiple times um, when just a bunch of the, all the missionaries there, including us, we were just spooked, and we just felt a dark presence that wasn't supposed to be there, and it wasn't good. Yeah. Well, Abby, where have you, can you share a story with us where you've seen the light of Christ just kind of reflected through your time in South Sudan? The, the biggest story that stuck out to me of a time when I just felt like I was able to witness Christ's light and just be able to share his love and um, that it was him was, um, well, we got involved with the sick kids and sort of caring for them and taking them to the hospital. And there was one time when this little girl named Tana, she's about seven, and she was really sick with malaria and just really out of it and just really, like, weak and sort of groggy. And so I was sitting in the hospital with her, and it started to pour. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get her back to her room. It's just pouring outside, and we're going to get sopping wet. And so I sort of, like... Um, 
was worried about that. And so she got her shot and then we walked outside and sort of without thinking, I scooped her up in my arms and I just ran through the rain carrying her. And I got her in her bed and in dry clothes and situated. And as I walked back to my house, it had sort of stopped raining. And I was like, I could have waited like 10 to 15 minutes and not gotten soaking wet. But when I realized that, I was like, it was about Christ. It was about her knowing what it was like to be loved by Christ, that Christ picks us up when we're weak and sick, and he runs with us through the rainstorm, and that she needed to know what it felt like to be loved like that, and unconditionally and just completely. Um, but it was the everyday things that you really just saw Christ just being able to be there and, you know, the injustice of not having a mom or dad to be there to kiss your boo-boos and give you a pat on the back when you get good grades at school, but to be that for them, to be Christ in those situations and to share the gospel with them and to be the gospel and, um, and that they then go out into the community into the nearby villages and they share the gospel and they're able to, they're able to be a light to then the people that don't know Christ. And so it's really cool to see that. Cool. And we actually have a video of the children from the orphanage. The Tuckermans work with Harvesters Reaching the Nations. They have a table out in the foyer. They'd love to talk with you and see how you can get involved. One way uh, they can get involved is there's still some of those cards. With it? So there's um, there these, the orphans, you know, no children or no uh, parents. They, um, some of them don't receive any correspondence. And there is a stack of names and faces that... Uh, the Tuckmans are asking, hey, if you could maybe grab one of those and send them a little email saying, hey, here's my name. You know, we're thinking of you. We saw your video. Merry Christmas. That would really mean a lot to them. So after in the four, you can grab one of those, send an email, and then they'll get, they'll get it to uh, the, um, the kids. So let's, I think all of us uh, can get excited and uh, be encouraged by the story of the Tuckermans in South Sudan, all these kids with no parents Obviously, it's a dark situation, and we've been there. You know, the Tuckermans are there to shine the light of Christ. But what about us? What about those who aren't going to Ghana or South Sudan? You see, everywhere needs the light. It's not just other countries or places that we don't know about. Broadview Heights, Brexville, North Royalton, Parma, there's serious darkness in our midst, lest we forget that we live in a place with darkness. It might not be as, as evident, uh, you, right? We, you know, people living in nice houses and they have cars, but the darkness is not the, the poverty. <laughs> Jesus was poor. The darkness is the darkness of the heart. So in 2015, we are launching a new, new lifestyle. We're calling it New Life 1024. What we're doing, we're challenging everyone at CVC to be praying for 10 people through the year of 2015. 
and we're praying that they, those 10 people you, you're praying for receive the light of Christ. And we are praying for 24,000 new life conversations where you share with those people or anyone you come in contact with <clears throat> that Jesus Christ came, was born, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in your place, and rose again so you can have new life. You'll hear more about that from Chad next week. But be thinking about those 10 people you want to be praying for. That is something I'm really excited so that we not only can send some of our people out throughout the world that need the light, but we can reflect the light of Christ even brighter here where we live. So what can you do? What can we do to shine the light of Christ, to dwell in places that are dark? Here's a couple ideas. You're at a Christmas party? Simply bring up the name of Jesus. Okay, I'm not even telling you to like bring your Bible. I'm saying if you're at a Christmas party, say, man, this is it's so cool that people throughout the world celebrate the birth of Jesus. Just try it and see where the Holy Spirit can lead you in that. Uh, every one of us has an, an EGR, an extra grace required person. And often they show up, yep, often they show up during Christmas time. And right, our, our tendency is to, you know, do the little, you know, kind of, I'm encourage you this. Generally, those people have something going on. You know, they, they need grace and truth. I'd encourage you, lean into that relationship. I know it'll take time. I know they'll tell you about their cats or whatever. You know, <clears throat> lean into that relationship and just say, Lord, use me to reflect your light on this person so that they can see and feel and know the grace and truth from Jesus. We have these, incar these incarnation ornaments. Remember, these are opportunities when you see this to remember to pray for the countries we've focused on during our Lie of the World series, Ukraine, El Salvador, Mexico, South Sudan, and Ghana. You pick one of these up in the, uh, in the foyer. Advent tree still has some ornaments there. You can, there's some needs there. You can connect it with Ghana, South Sudan, some other ministries. I encourage you to grab one of those. And also invite some friends family to the Christmas Eve service, 3.30, 4, 5.30, and 11. A lot of times people are willing to come hear about Jesus during Christmas. So I encourage you to do that. You have the invite cards in your bulletin. Well, let me, let me close with this. Verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law that it's talking about is the, the don'ts, of the Old Testament, where God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's the things we shouldn't do, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The New Testament is very clear that the law is never enough for you to have the light of Christ in your heart, for you to be saved. I think of it this way. In our bedroom, we... Uh, you know, we have one of those uh, blinds that are those big, long pieces of plastic, and then you roll, you know, and you turn the little dial, and they close. So it gets pretty dark at night. So you have a little nightlight. And the purpose of that nightlight is to give a little light and cast some shadows so that I don't, right, smash my knee on the bureau, right, or, or like, hit my face on one of the little doors that come out. But that's really all it does. I can't get dressed by that light, and I can't really read anything. I can't, 
can't really do anything. It just kind of shows me where not to go. See, that's like the law. You can live a good life and you can be moral, but you may never have the grace and truth because you can be moral without Christ. The law only brings condemnation. You know what you shouldn't do, but you still do it. But grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is like the sun, like about 7.15 this time of year, right? The sun comes up. It doesn't matter how tightly we pull our shades, the light still comes in and lights up our whole room. And we can do whatever we want. We don't even need the nightlight. That's what Christ offers you in the gospel. The law shows us that we need Jesus. And if you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you need to do so today because you may be trying to be moral, but that's never gonna bring you the grace and truth that only comes through Jesus Christ. If you have yet to receive Christ, all you gotta do is verse 12, to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus Christ was born on Christmas day, a little baby, so he could grow up perfect, die on the cross for our place and be raised again so that we could have the light of God and our lives, no matter what happens, be characterized by grace and truth. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to become flesh. Thank you for that first Christmas morning where he was born humble, vulnerable, in total need. Lord, thank you that he lived a normal life so that when we pray to him, we know he knows what it's like to deal with the stuff we deal with. Lord, thank you that he lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins and rose again so that we could have a new life. And Lord, continue to remind us this Christmas season about our brothers and sisters throughout the world who don't have the opportunities and don't have the light that we do. Lord, there are people who are in great need, not only of the gospel, but there are brothers and sisters who are in great need of just material things. Lord, open up our hearts so that we can have a greater desire to give of ourselves and to dwell in places that are dark. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.